Okay, friends, welcome back to the Andrew Giuliani Show. I hope you guys have had a fantastic new year and your 2024 is off to a great start. Obviously, a very, very important year for the future of our country, for the future of Western civilization. One of the things I want to talk to you about today is the middle of the sandwich, the meat, if you will, in the DEI myth that we are being fed. It's more than just a myth, actually. It really is something that's uh, a lot worse than that. E being equity. I have seen equity all over the place recently in a way where if you look at the usage of the word, it has spiked significantly over the last four, five, six years. Uh, and basically what equity means versus equality is equity is the equality of outcome versus the equality of opportunity. It is based deeply in communist roots uh, from Engels to Marx to a few others that we'll highlight here in this episode of the Andrew Giuliani Show. And uh, it's something that uh, I think we've been hypocritically using here in the United States. And there have been some organizations that have been pushing this that frankly have had uh, are no better example of capitalism uh, than anything else around the world. So the reason how this really came on my mind recently, especially, uh, was the National Football League. And I highlighted a few weeks back uh, during my criticism of uh, all of the pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist protesters, how the National Football League was making social justice statements in the end zone, basically kind of appealing from communist ideals to the American people uh, by putting end racism in the back of the end zone. And I had asked the NFL just very easily, would you be willing to actually make a statement for those citizens that were killed, that were maimed, that were raped, that were burned to the stake, that were taken captive in Israel, not warriors, but citizens by these Hamas terrorist thugs. Um, I saw a few short things in the weeks afterwards, uh, on NFL broadcasts, which I was happy that they made some acknowledgement, but I would have liked to have seen more from the NFL than that. But one of the things that I've seen recently is equity splattered everywhere. You see it on so many of the coaches uh, and so many of the injured players, uh, even the head coaches wearing sweatshirts that have equity across there. I think it says justice, opportunity, equity, among the other things. But equity is prominently on there. Uh, freedom also on there, which uh, we'll get into how hypocritical that is considering what equity has done around the world, what the ideals of equity have meant to people's freedoms, costing them their freedoms, costing them their opportunities. But recently, the National Football League, which uh, if there's a greater example of capitalist success, I can't think of any considering all of the owners uh, or billionaires, right? Think about all the players, millionaire players. Uh, sometimes players even become billionaires. It really is uh, an incredible example of capitalism succeeding. Meanwhile, they're out there promoting the equity ideal. So before we dig deeper into the NFL's role in all this and how hypocritical it actually is, let's get into that equity versus equality thing. In one of my gubernatorial debates, I think it was the second one on New York One. It was one of the two that I was not allowed to actually uh, be in the same room as my competitors because, remember, uh, I did not have the 
vaccine. And they would not let somebody that did not have the shot, even though I had the antibodies, even though they were tested, even though I had proof, even though I said that I'd be willing to test for COVID the day of, so that way all of my competitors, as well as the moderators, would know that I was there, even though I was in that same studio, the exact same New York One Spectrum News studio, just a few short weeks before the debates. Didn't matter. They were not going to ultimately have me in that room. So as I debated across town in a totally different room in a different area, one of the moderators asked me very simply, I believe it was Errol Lewis, asked me about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I said very simply, diversity, equity, inclusion in our schools in New York is like teaching critical race theory 101. It's just a different name for critical race theory, and they'll continue to actually do that. And then, and then he asked what I think is a gotcha question for so many politicos, for so many people, because they don't like to get put on the back foot and it can make a sound bite. He asked, well, do you not believe in diversity or in equity or in inclusion? And I said, well, look, first off, true diversity and true inclusion of ideas, I think those are good concepts. They certainly have been pushed by the communist left to mean something completely different than what they can mean and what they should mean in the American ideals. And I think what America's founding fathers might have thought about diversity, might have thought about the inclusion of ideas. But equity is one thing where I think it's extremely dangerous to be pushing because I believe in equality, in equality of outcome, not in equity and it goes right back into the ideas that you see in Marx and Karl Engels. So when you look at what equity means versus equality, equity is talking about outcome. Equality is talking about opportunity, right? Equity is trying to measure equal outcomes. Doesn't matter where you start from. Doesn't matter how much work or how much effort you put in. They ultimately want you to end at the same outcome. Whereas equality talks about opportunity, giving people equal opportunity. It's the ideal that I believe in the country we should strive for. It's the ideal that when strive for, when you do actually look at equal opportunity, then guess what? I think society functions at the best and truly the most just level. Equity is communist. Equality is capitalist, right? Equity alone, we'll talk about how communist it actually is and its roots, but at its heart, it is a communist, socialist, communist ideal. Equity is oppressing, right? It is oppressing in what it has revoked from a liberation standpoint, people's freedoms all across the world. We'll get into some of the places that have experienced equity firsthand and we'll realize well, maybe it's not just something to sell apparel by a massive capitalist organization. Maybe it's something that's actually cost people their lives. And not just a few people, not just hundreds of people or thousands. We're talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. Whereas equality is liberating. So when they talk about in socialist concepts, in communist concepts, because Karl Marx actually never really delineated between communism and socialism. He actually saw them uh, as one and the same. I think the same, so did Engels as well. I think that's important to note that, that Marx, who we so often quote when we think of socialism, he thought of socialism and communism uh, as the same. So what is so attributed to Marx, but really goes back even before Marx, to St. Simone, goes back to Louis Blanc, 
from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Now, what that ultimately means is it doesn't matter how much you do, how much you are able to achieve, it only matters at what your needs are. And what that does is that creates a victim culture rather than a culture of achievement, rather than actually looking and saying, what can I do? How much can I build? How much can I achieve? How much can that help my family? How much can that pushing myself help my community? It basically focuses on the needs of sight. Now, look, it sounds nice, right? When you put that out there, say, look, it's, look, we're worried about the needs of people. Here's the biggest thing, though. It does, it creates way, 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 way too much power at the top. The decision makers who are ultimately redistributing said wealth, that are ultimately making these decisions, they have an inordinate, inordinate amount of power. We talk about the power in Washington, D.C. I talk about the bureaucracy all the time in our nation's capital. And you talk about how much has been centralized there over the last bunch of years. And certainly if you look at the last 30 years in DC, there's been a lot of power centralized there and it is a real problem. Well, it is nothing compared to the power that is centralized in socialist and communist governments because they are the ones that are making the decisions based on who needs it. So power plays a massive role in this. And what it ends up also doing it promotes the minimum rather than the maximum. And I could tell you, I've talked to my wife about this in terms of what this looked like in the Soviet Union. As you guys know, as I talk about often, my wife is from Lithuania. The first few years of her life, she lived under Soviet oppression and her parents grew up and worked for most of their lives under the Soviet Union system. And what they saw continually was that people would work not harder, but they would work the minimum amount of hours they would have to work. Nobody would stay to 501. Everybody would be out the building because guess what? There was no carrot. There was nothing that was going to help their, help themselves move up in the world, help their families be able to have a little bit more because of that. It was only based on need and victims. And so what you ended up seeing is you saw effort continue to go down and down and down. As you see your coworker doing the minimum effort, and you see your other coworker to the left doing the minimum effort, guess what? That's contagious. And the efforts go down and down and down, and all of a sudden, society produces lefts, and guess what? It caves in, right? You see it in Cuba. You see it in the Soviet Union. You've seen it in all different places that have practiced pure communism and in socialism where they can't produce. They can't compete with capitalist nations. That's the ideals of equity. And this is really where the argument of equity falls flat. You know, as Marx argued the ability to need argument right there from each ability, from each of one's ability, from, from each according to their ability to each according to their need, um, he basically said that it would free society from exploitation dehumanization, and domination. Well, he is wrong, wrong, and wrong. If you think about this, Marx argues that it's the people who owns the means of production that are the ones who are exploiting, dehumanizing, and dominating those who are actually working, the working class, if you will, according to Marx. Um, but the thing that we've seen time and time again, and 
the studio that we're sitting in, I think is a perfect example, is you have the upward mobility in a capitalist system that you don't have in a communist system. It's just not possible. Look at the person, the owner-operator of WABC and Red Apple Media, John Katsimatidis. This is a guy who came from very little, the, an immigrant himself into the United States of America and was able to build everything he had through a work ethic. Not because he was exploited or dehumanized or dominated in any kind of a way. It's because he worked hard. It's because he had the intelligence to be able to figure out, hey, this is exactly how I want to be able to build this. This is how I want to do that. And guess what he's done with that? He's employed thousands of people across New York and across the country. That's not exploiting people. That's giving people opportunity. That truly is the opportunity that the NFL tries to talk about but falls completely short of the facts. Opportunity is so important when it comes to this. And when you think of the government in communist instances, it instills this, what they actually say, what Marx has said, he's going to take away this dehumanization, these exploitation. It instills this on their subjects, on the people, on the very people that communism says it's going to lift up. It's going to have everybody equal, no matter if they're doctors or lawyers or whether they work the minimum 40 hours a week or they work 60 hours a week. It doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with your ability. It has nothing to do with your work ethic. It has everything to do with your need. It is the ultimate victim culture. And as I said before, I think it's very, very important to point out when we talk about Marx. He never, ever distinguished between communism and socialism. So back to equity specifically over here. You know, recently it's meant that race, religion, um, that it supersedes really competence, right? When you think about what equity means, uh, it has all been pushed up in the social justice movement, in the DEI movement, where race is the top thing that ultimately matters to people. It has nothing to do, or religion for that matter, right? And we're seeing that now specifically with the anti-Semitism of Jews and the open calling for genocide of those Jews. It has nothing to do with what you've been able to achieve, what you can achieve, what you can do for your society, for your country, for your neighborhood, through your level of achievement. And what that means for an individual level, um, it ultimately kills the meritocracy. That's what equity does. And look, it confiscates and it redistributes. That's what communism is all about. It's about confiscating, the government confiscates, and it redistributes said wealth. And that's why it ends up falling flat on its face. You don't have the individual effort. You don't have the individual license that you would in capitalist economies. Uh, on top of the fact that, by the way, it eliminates religion. This is one of the things that I think is so important in all of this. And one of the things that's kind of been shed a light on recently, as I mentioned before, with these pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist protests through the streets of New York City uh, and other places, Washington, D.C., Chicago, all across the country, uh, communism, in order for it to truly be achieved in the way that Marx believed and Engels uh, and Lenin and Stalin, you need to eliminate religion. 
There's no room for anything that will supersede the government. And what can supersede the government more than anything? It's our human right to practice a religion freely. Uh, so that's why you continue to see that whenever equity is pushed, religion as a human right gets pushed down, 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 down. It's not a top human right, and that's why, uh, that's why you continue to see this attack on religion by those on the left. It's extremely illiberal. It, uh, it's a violation of human rights. It's a violation even of the UN Code of Human Rights. I believe it's Code 18, if you go back and, and look at it, our freedom to practice religion. It should be one of the primary uh, things. It's exactly what the Founding Fathers, uh, it's the main reason why we as a country exist and why we had our revolution from Great Britain and the kings of Great Britain. We believed that not only we should govern ourselves, but there should be freedom of religion here in the United States. And uh, by the way, in some of this, I've got to give Wei Wei Chin some credit of the Manhattan Institute. She's a friend of mine. She's written some great articles on this. And she talked about this specifically here in New York and what equity has meant. And I've talked about the NFL. I'm going to get back to the NFL in a few short minutes. But how equity has hurt New York so badly. We can just look at the gifted and talented programs and what they try to do to the meritocracy here in New York and how they try to kill it. I'll even go further and we can look at the charter schools versus our public schools in New York. Charter schools create a system of accountability. Public schools have been trying to reduce their accountability, reduce their measure of merits over the last few decades. And what have we seen? We've seen in the same neighborhoods, mind you, reading levels go through the roof in charter schools, graduate levels in the 90 percentile, above the 90, 95 percentile, many of these charter schools, where sadly we've seen our reading levels, our mathematic levels, and our graduation levels, people that are just ready to ultimately hit the workforce in these public schools in New York City and around the country, by the way. This is not just a New York City problem. Detroit, it's a massive problem. Chicago, all around the country. Sadly, they have gone down the toilet. And if you bring a meritocracy in, if you bring the idea of accountability, and if you take that equity and you throw it out the window, I am telling you, it is going to do wonders for our children in New York all across the country because there's no way that they can achieve to the best of their ability. Our kids can achieve to the best of their ability by saying, don't worry, you are taken care of because of your need. There's no fire in the belly. There's no creativity. There's no drive. There's no desire. There's no passion when you ultimately do that. And you end up having a stagnant society that spirals out of control. Sadly. So uh, kudos to Wei Wei Chin and how she's pointed out how this is directly affecting many of the decisions with regards to education, not just on a college and university level, but directly here in New York City with our gifted and talented programs uh, and uh, with the specialized test scores. Look, I live right uh, very close to Stuyvesant High School, and you can see that they are the top students in the city and you want to know why it's not because they get picked to go there because they know somebody they have a connection look as the mayor's son i couldn't get picked to go there you would have had to have scored 
on a merit-based exam in order to get in there. Now, a lot of people have pointed out that it is majority Asian at Stuyvesant. And what does that mean for equity? Well, no, they shouldn't be pointing that out. This is about equality. You want to know what? If you have a problem with the fact that it's majority Asian at Stuyvesant, here's the solution. Push yourself and score better, right? If you really want your race to be, get better, white included, right? Then guess what? We ultimately should learn from how those Asian New Yorkers have studied, how they have achieved, and instead of tearing them down and tearing that meritocracy down, saying, you know what? That's an example of high achievement. That's an example of what we can do to get better, what we can do to improve. What can we do over the coming years, over the coming decade plus, to be able to push society, to be able to push New York students so that way they can achieve to the highest level of their possibility. So don't tear this down, but use those people that are succeeding as an example because they really are an example. So look, let me get back to the NFL as we conclude our discussion about equity, which by the way, as you can tell, it drives me mad talking about equity because the way that they've been able to change this word where a lot of people I think think it's equality. I've even seen as I was doing my research on this, a lot of people think the sweatshirts that the NFL coaches have been donning over the winter have said equality on it. It doesn't say equality. It says equity. But let's take the NFL as an example here. The NFL is a perfect example, as I said earlier, of capitalism in the United States. You could even argue that it's a bit unabridged because of its connection to different localities. You could think about the stadiums that end up getting public funding, and you could say it's even taxpayer-funded capitalism in that kind of way. And we can definitely have that discussion and argument, and I certainly welcome your comments here uh, as you're watching this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether or not the NFL, uh, whether or not we go a bridge too far in order to kind of bow to the NFL because they are such an economic engine. But think about this from an equity perspective. Imagine if the, equity, if the NFL actually practiced equity. What would that mean from an ownership perspective? So in New York, you wouldn't have the Tishes and Maras owning the Giants, you would have, I don't know, every single New York resident equally owning a piece of the New York Giant, Giants. You wouldn't have Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley being the highest played, paid players on the Giants. You would have it equally distributed amongst the 53-man roster and other people. It would ultimately end up caving in on itself in a very short period of time because you'd have the best players at that point, right, the ones who were making $40, 50000000 million, having less incentive to then push themselves because they're now making, I don't know, one-twentieth, uh, one-thirtieth of what they were making before. And you would end up kind of promoting in such a way the players who, look, don't get me wrong, if you've made the NFL, you're an in incredible athlete, but there are definitely levels of achievement at the NFL. It would end up helping the journeyman or the guy who may be in the NFL for a game or two. So I would say to the NFL, I'll issue a challenge to you. You're going to wear equity sweatshirts. You're going to preach. Maybe you guys should practice equity and see ultimately what happens. We will watch the NFL fold, fold like a cheap suit very, very quickly. But ladies and gentlemen, the NFL is never going to do that because they understand 
what capitalism has meant to their businesses. The owners understand what it has meant to their bottom line, what it's meant to their families. And guess what? What the NFL does actually do is they employ hundreds, tens of thousands of people. Probably if you go into the organizations, it's hundreds of thousands of people. If you look at the owners of these teams, they employ a combined hundreds of thousands, millions of people all across the country. And that is the beauty of capitalism. It creates opportunity. It creates jobs, yes, independent of government, independent of those power circles. I would much rather see those power circles in a market-based system where they can exchange via work ethic, via intelligence. And yes, look, there are good breaks involved. Don't get me wrong. There's no doubt about that. But I'd much rather see that than the few in the center of government controlling the power. Because here's the thing. This movie, we've seen it time and time and time again. I think of Cuba and the Soviet Union, Venezuela right now. It all starts off where, hey, look, this is going to work out well for everybody. Has the movie turned out well so far? It hasn't. And I'll tell you why. Because there are fatal flaws. And that's the fatal flaw in equity. And that's why I think anytime we see the word equity, I ask you to push back on it. Because equity of outcome, it's not American. Equity of outcome, it's not a path to success. Equality of opportunity, that is the path to success. That is what American greatness is made out of. And that is what will help Western civilization survive. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Again, Happy start to 2024. We're going to be covering a whole lot of important topics. We're going to be getting into very shortly each of these swing states and what the election process looks like in each of them. Because as I've said time and time again, we need to make sure that we can trust our election in 2024 if we're going to save our country. So God bless you and God bless your families. Remember, equality, equality, not equity.